Hello, all you worldwiders. Welcome back to another episode of UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peake, MUFON field investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. Today we do have a, this is episode 10. Uh, we'll be talking about some of the new comments that state representatives and senators have come out of the woodwork and said, and what they're supporting and what uh, plans they are putting in place for the military to record or respond to sightings. Um, also, we're gonna be getting into the second half of the show, uh, some cases of um, fighter jets that have chased UFOs, some ending in deadly consequences, others disappearing completely. So that's what we have for today's episode. So strap on them seatbelts, we're going for a ride. Wow, so can you believe it? We're already up to episode 10. Um, this is definitely something that I did not expect to go as far as it has and not and to get the feedback that I've gotten. Um, it's absolutely insane and it's incredible. It's awesome. It's amazing. And I have all you worldwiders to thank for that. Um, so today is episode 10. We got some cool content for you today. Um, we're going to start the first half of the episode with some news about what's going on in the field um, and what people are coming out of the woodwork to, you know, put their two cents into the UFO phenomenon and field. Um, I do have some announcements, though, I did want to go over before we get into that. Um, I do want to make the announcement that ufoencountersworldwide.wordpress.com, the official website for this podcast, has now hit over, well over 800 views, and it's going up every day. So thank you, everybody who checks up on the website. Um, we do put new weekly um, cases up there or news from uh, the UFO field. Um, every week, new content gets put up. So always remember to check back in and see what uh, you have up there. Also, you could follow my travels, look at some of my work that I've done in the field. Um, you can also get in contact with me there. My email is at the bottom of the website. This way, if you do want to share any encounters or sightings that you had, you're more than welcome to. Um, and if you even want to come on the show, maybe one time, um, we are looking for uh, guests to come on the show. Um, we do have a couple scheduled coming up in the future. Um, everything is in the works now as we speak. But thank you again. Um, well over 800 views. It's just amazing. It's something I never expected. Um, and to the next thing, um, the podcast itself um, is available on all platforms. And we have a t over um, a thousand uh, plays. Uh, listen in over 30 different countries. So this is truly worldwide. And thank you guys for that. Um, and listen, I know that it can be scary to come out and share your encounter. Um, you don't know what people are going to think. You don't know how people are going to judge you. But I want you to know that here, this is the safe zone in this podcast. I, I don't want you to be scared. And I'll never judge you. I'll never look down on you. And I don't judge books by their covers. Um, everybody gets their own chance to say what they have to say. And um, I enjoy having you on here to share your experiences because we can all learn from that. And then you encourage other people to share their encounters. Um, so don't feel funny. Please send me an email. Share your encounter. If you just want me to share your encounter on the podcast myself, um, I'll do that for you. Or if you want to come on, we'll have you on. Um, so I just want to get that out of the way and say thank you to everybody who has been participating on the website and in the podcast again. 
Um, so today we do have a UFO fact. Um, I'd like to give you guys just some kind of fact in, within the UFO history. Some things you probably don't know about. It's always cool to learn something new every day. <clears throat> um, so this is the fact for the day. In 1965, military officials from three different countries, Argentina, Great Britain, and Chile, reported seeing red, blue, and green lights flickering and dart across a remote stretch of the sky, according to the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomenon. Troops also recorded magnetic changes in their geometric instruments, leading them to question what else could possibly be doing this in such remote parts of the world. To this day, officials still cannot explain the source of these supposed UFOs. So I just thought that was pretty cool that they, they have the evidence that different changes in their instruments happened and did occur. I thought it was pretty cool how these three different countries all reported seeing the same kind of objects and um, the same possibility of something bigger than just seeing what's going on. Um, they might be doing something, sketching, sketching the area out. I'm not sure. But I just found this that this was pretty cool to have Argentina, Great Britain, and Chile. And they're all describing the same exact things with all their um, – all their mechanisms going out of control and they have no idea what this is still to this day. Um, so it's definitely something cool to go look on. The date again was 1965 and the countries were Argentina, Great Britain, and Chile. Um, you can go online, you can check it out uh, and look into the, the facts a little farther. Um, pretty cool stuff. Um, I like to bring in little cases and little things up here and there that we could talk about. Um, just neat stuff to learn. Um, so let's uh, move on into the first part of our episode. Um, I've been looking and paying attention, um, social media, on the news, all different types of people that have just been suddenly popping up now that the UFO report has come out. And since the Pentagon has officially stated that UFOs slash UAPs are real and we don't know what they are, and they're definitely not ours, Russia, or China's, or any other country in that fact. Um, so I thought it would be cool to give you a little idea of what's going on in the news, um, who's doing what, who's saying what. It's just, it's just, just to keep you updated in case you aren't seeing this stuff. Um, so lawmakers on both sides, uh, both parties are demanding that the government do more to investigate these UFO sightings. Um, I've seen a list of different people coming out and stating that they, um, the one, the main thing I've seen is that the chief scientist over at NASA. His scientists working underneath of him want the government to release the classified report that the, that the uh, government officials received and give that to NASA so that NASA can finally do a scientific study on the UAP phenomenon, which would give it more of a, you know, more credibility. And the scientists are getting a little fed up with this because they're basically telling NASA to go and do this on your own with no data. And the scientists want the data, you know, for themselves so they can go ahead and look into this, 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 this phenomenon, which I think was pretty cool. And even the chief uh, scientist at NASA came out and stated that um, it would be a great thing to have this stuff released to them. And um, I think it would be good for the whole UFO field and researchers in general. Um, so it's pretty cool that they came out and publicly stated this. Uh, to move on, the United States must be able to understand 
and mitigate threats to our pilots, whether they're from drones or weather balloons or adversary intelligence capabilities, said um, said the Senate Intelligence Committee Chairman Senator Mark Warner, a uh, Democrat of Virginia. Um, he also stated today's rather inconclusive report only marks the beginning of efforts to understand and illuminate what is causing the risk to aviation's aviators in many areas around the country and the world. So we do need, it's, it's good to have these people coming out like this and stating this because this is not just your everyday citizen. This is people that represent the people and this is their job. This is what they get paid for. This is what your tax money goes towards. Um, we, we pay these people to come out and do this kind of stuff and work for the people. Um, and then we also have Senator Marco Rubio. He came out and recently was saying, um, the top Republican on the committee, Senator Marco Rubio, added, the report is an important first step in cataloging these incidents, um, but it is just a first step. So that right there just lets you know that he is going to be pushing for more, more information to be coming out. But the first step was getting this uh, unclassified report as well as the classified report to the government officials. Um, this is now putting in motion multiple different things that are going to be done. Um, we have uh, Kathleen Hicks, who is... Um, one of our government officials, and she came out and she has now put in place that any military official, whether you're out on, a, um, out on the Navy ships, on the carriers, or if you're here on land in the United States and you see some sort of sighting or UFO or UAP, there is now an implement put in place that you have to report that within a two-week occurrence of your sighting. Um, so right there, there's a starting point for getting our military to actually be okay to come out <clears throat> and report what they're seeing. Um, I mean, you're still going to have in some places, um, people still worried about coming out and saying it. Um, but this is definitely a big first step. Um, now he also added that the defense department and intelligence community have a lot of work to do before we can actually understand whether these aerial threats present a serious national security concern. <clears throat> That's what Rubio added. Um, and he pushed he was the one that actually pushed for the government to conduct the UFO report. Um, just to remind people about that, because you don't hear many talk about that very often. Um, and then you have uh, House Intelligence Committee Chairman Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat of California, said, um, we should approach these questions without preconceptions to encourage a thorough, systemized analysis of the potential national security and flight safety risks posed by identified aerial phenomenon, whether they are the result of a foreign adversary, atmospheric, or other aerial phenomenon, space debris, or something else entirely. So we have all these big people coming out and stating this stuff. So I really do believe that in the very soon future, something more is going to happen. And like I stated before, on the report, it did say this is a preliminary assessment, meaning that this is one of the first of many to come. Um, so just keep that in mind, that this is not the only thing we're going to get. Um, we have our people that are doing their jobs that are going to push for stuff to come out more, and we will receive more information. But I think it's great that we have Adam Schiff, uh, Senator Marco Rubio, um, we have uh, Senator Mark Warner, and other lawmakers coming out and uh, putting their putting you know putting their credibility on the line and uh, supporting the disclosure of UFOs and UAP. <clears throat> um, so this report has proposed a lot of different people to come out um, of the woodwork that support the release of the UFO info, and 
I just think it's it's a great thing. This is what we have wanted. Um, if, if we can't get the scientific and scientists to back us up, at least we now have these people um, doing it. Um, so I think that's a, a great thing. Um, so the conversation is opening up. And people have been researching this subject and putting in the footwork by writing books or having boots on the ground to investigate UFO sightings. Um, need to be need to be because the whole world is now involved in this subject so people need the important thing now is to do all of your work and have the facts straight for when we do report these sightings and we do um, do our research when we're out in the field so I find that very very important and um, the people in this field um, that have been researching for a very long time, um, we need to take the lead and educate the people who have no idea about the UFO phenomenon. And it has to be with true hard facts. And most important of all is that we work together with open minds and collaborate to put the best research out as possible. We can't just go and throw anything out. Someone reports something, right? And I noticed a lot of people on Twitter will go and they'll retweet it right away without even looking into it. And they'll say, oh, this, look at this, da 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 and it winds up being fake. Now, with what's going on right now with, the, with disclosure and how people are looking into this, um, yeah, now we have everybody, like I just talked about, getting involved. Us as researchers, it's the most important thing right now is to work together. I mean, collaborate. I'm starting to collaborate with other people. Um, I'm going on shows and they're coming on my show and we're talking about all different perspectives and being open-minded about this situation, which is a need be. Um, I just find it to be, this is our time to shine. We've waited so long for this. I mean, 1947 was a long time ago and people have been fighting for disclosure ever since then. Uh, we do our research for years. People have been in this field way before my time, you know, and they, they put their blood, sweat and tears. They've lost careers. They've lost relationships. They've lost everything that they've ever owned because they looked into this subject and had the heart to continue to do so. Um, I understand that nowadays everything's more open and this is what they fought for. So we have to remember our mentors from the past that have fought and researched this subject for so long. And now we have to do right by them by coming with the hard facts and educating the public that has no idea on the subject. And when we're asked to come on live TV by any media, by news, by the Discovery Channel, uh, Travel Channel, whoever it is, bring your A game. Don't just shoot off some any old thing, man. Come with the hard, the big things that will knock people on their feet and have them in awe. I think that's key. Um, so I just really, really would like to see more of us working together in, in UFO Twitter, um, people that aren't in the media, social media, that have little debates about, well, oh, you say this, I say that. Listen, man, put, the, put, put everything aside right now. This is our time. This is our time to shine. So with all that being said, I hope you guys really let that sink in and think about that for a little while. 
Um, I want to go ahead and take our break and when we come back, we're going to get into some cases about Air Force pilots that actually have been there to chase UFOs in the sky. So hang on to your seats. We'll be right back with UFO Encounters Worldwide. This is your host, Jesse Peak. We'll be back after the break. UFO Encounters Worldwide with your host, Jesse Peak, now available on the following platforms, CastBox, Google, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, Overcast, PocketCast, Breaker, Radio Public, and Podcast Attic. Come check us out today and become a Worldwider. UFO Encounters Worldwide wants to hear from you. Have an experience or a sighting you want to share? Contact your host, Jesse Peak, at UFO Encounters Worldwide at gmail.com today. Hey everyone, it's Jesse Peak, your host from UFO Encounters Worldwide. Have you guys ever had a UFO sighting? Go to MUFON.com where you can report your UFO sighting and a field investigator will get in contact with you and investigate your sighting absolutely free. I'm a field investigator for MUFON in Pennsylvania. I do it all the time. It's a great, great organization to report your sighting and actually get real feedback. Check it out at MUFON.com today. And we're back. This is the second half of the show, episode 10. We're going to get into some pretty cool cases of our brave old pilots that have chased some UFOs in our skies with some pretty crazy outcomes. Uh, the evidence is pr- is all there, and uh, you can research them all for yourself. Pretty cool stuff. So we're going to go ahead and break them down, and uh, we'll jump right in. So we're going to jump right in um, and we're going to start with the first case. Um, This is the big one. I figured we'd start with this one first. Um, And this is called, well, it's not called, but the night an Air Force jet mysteriously disappeared over Lake Superior on November 23rd, 1953. So this was a pretty big case at the time. Um, So let's hear about it. So near the U.S.-Canadian border, um, U.S. Air Defense Command noticed a blip on the radar where it shouldn't have been. Um, That's usually how they all start out. Um, An unidentified object in restricted airspace over Lake Superior, not far from Sulox, the Great Lakes, most vital commercial gateway. Um, There was an F-89C Scorpion jet from Trucks Air Force Base in Madison, Wisconsin, took off from nearby Kinross Air Force Base to investigate with two crew members on board. So this is a double crew. Um, First Lieutenant Felix Montcla, who had clocked 811 flying hours, including 121 in a similar aircraft, took the pilot seat, while Second Lieutenant Robert, Robert Wilson, 
was observing the radar. Now, the men would not return from their intercept mission. I'm just letting you know this now. This turned out to be one of the mysterious disappearances that occurred while chasing a UFO. So what followed, according to Donald Kehoe, the former Marine Corps naval aviator and UFO researcher who wrote about the incident in his 1955 book, The Flying Saucer Conspiracy, was one of the strangest cases on record. Once airborne, Lieutenant Wilson had difficulty tracking the unknown object, which kept changing its course. So obviously this was one with intelligent control, and it might even had uh, similar um, abilities just like the tic-tac, how it, it moves erratically. This way you can't really track um, the UFO itself, and it's hard to catch it on radar. Now, so with the ground control directing the aviators over the radio, the Scorpion gave chase. The jet was traveling at 500 miles per hour. It pursued the object for over 30 minutes, gradually closing in. Now, on the ground, the radar operator guided the jet down from 25,000 to 7,000 feet, watching one blip chase another across the radar screen. So, everything that the jet had on radar was being confirmed with the ground radar, okay? And they were following their radar while the ground control tried to tell them where the object was going at, the, at that time. So... Gradually, the jet caught up to the unknown object about 70 miles off. It's called Keweenaw Point in Upper Michigan, at an altitude of 8,000 feet, approximately 160 miles northwest of Solux. At that point, the two radar blips converged into one locked together, as Kehoe would put it later. And then, according to an official accident report, the radar return from the F-89 simply disappeared from the GCI, which is, which stands for Ground Control Interception Station's radar scope. So as soon as these two blips, one was the UFO, one was the aircraft that was chasing the unidentified object, they collided together, became one blip, and then lost contact with their, with their uh, F-89. Then the first, then First radar return indicated that the unidentified object veered off and vanished too. The United States Air Force, United States Coast Guard, and Canadian Air Force conducted an extensive search and rescue effort. No wreckage, no sign of the pilots was ever found. So we have all the evidence here. We have the radar that was in the F-89. We have the radar that was down from uh, ground control. We also have multiple witnesses. And I'm pretty sure they probably had some other objects recording this whole situation. And two different countries to be involved. You have the Ca Canadian Air Force and you have the United States Air Force conducting the search and rescue. Now, this is like Superior. So you probably did... Uh, water searches, yeah, diatines probably go in, and you probably have people searching around the area, and to find nothing is just extremely odd in itself after seeing two of the blips joined together and then contact gone. Um, it's as if they went through a time warp or some type of thing and completely disappeared for more time. So 
The Air Force flip-flops in its explanation. They never really gave uh, <laughs> a good explanation for this. So the Air Force official news released about the disappearing disappearance delivered to the Associated Press. So I'm probably sure if you go on their website, you might be able to find the story. Um, remember, the year was 1953. Um, yeah, November 23rd, 1953. Um, you could probably see the Associated Press or go on their website and maybe see the story itself. Um, but it stated that the, the vanished jet was followed by radar until merged with an object 70 miles off Keweenaw Point in Upper Michigan. The statement appeared in a story in the Chicago Tribune with the headline, Jet to Aboard Vanishes Over Lake Superior. So the Chicago Tribune was on top of this as well. They did the main story that was on their headline and their front page. Um, the Air Force soon retracted the statement and changed its story. Where does this sound familiar like? Roswell? So according to the new statement, the ground control radar operator had misread the scope. In fact, the F-89 had successfully completed the mission, intercepting and identifying the UFO as a Dakota, a Royal Canadian Air Force C-47 aircraft flying some 30 miles off course. Lieutenant McClea, probably stricken with Virgo, crashed into the lake during the return to base. Canadian officials refuted the account. No flights had taken place in the area that night. So it says the Canadian officials refuted the account. No flights had taken place in that area that night. So you have a story, <laughs> just like how Roswell came out and said we have a crash disc. The next day they retract all their info from the paper, and they say that this, that this pilot completed its mission, found what it was. It wound up being a Canadian uh, jet or C-47 cargo plane. And on the way back, they just crashed into the, the lake. Now, I'm telling you right now that the Canadian Air Force, as well as the United States Air Force, and their dive teams are the best of the best. Navy SEALs, whoever they had, go in there and search. They would have found that plane. So this right here is conflicting to me, and I find it extremely wrong that they did this. Um, and then you have, on the other hand, you have the Canadian officials refuting the account and stated that no flights had taken place in that area at that night. So these two countries are, are disagreeing on what happened. <laughs> so according to Kehoe, who would write about the Ken, Ken Ross incident again in his book in 1973, book Aliens from Space, two separate Air Force representatives provided Lieutenant Monclo's widow with contradictory explanations of the incident. One version of events, the pilot had crashed into the lake while flying too low. In the other, the jet exploded at high altitude. So now you go back to where they retracted the original statement on the Chicago Tribune from being, you know, lost to now it had crashed on its way back into the lake. And now they're telling the widow that it crashed because they were flying too low, and then we're told again a separate time that it had crashed at a high altitude. So right here you have three different things going around, as well as the Canadian. You have three explanations coming from the United States government. Okay, and worst of all, there are multiple different things being told to the widow, the pilot. Then you have the Canadian Air Force refuting everything that the United States is saying and disagreeing with um, everything that they have put out.
Um, you, you're the widow of someone in the military, which I have been in the military myself. I was in the United States Army National Guard. I did my basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Now, if my wife, which I don't have one yet, or my girlfriend, lost me like that after I served my country and then got multiple explanations, I would be, I'd be very upset. So the case file from Pod Project Blue Book, the Air Force's own UFO investigate, investigatory team, reiterated the Air Force assertion that the jet successfully accomplished its mission and that the crash was an accident, probably caused by an attack of vertigo. It attributed the abnormal radar behavior to unusual atmospheric conditions and deemed the inability to recover wreckage as understandable given the deep water. So we got a lot of different things going on with this case. I mean, you could look this case up and find all this information yourself, but I, I needed to relay this because this shows you how how the Amer United States of America tries to cover up the UFO phenomenon, and they're not even good at doing that. So meanwhile, investigators from the National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomenon, NICAP, discovered that any mention of the mission had been expunged from official records. The Aerospace Technical Intelligence Center official line on the case was, there is no record in the Air Force files of sightings at Kinross Air Force Base on November 23, 1953. There is no case in the files which even closely parallels these circumstances. In the absence of a thorough and satisfying official explanation, civilian saucer groups, as, as Project Blue Book would call them, developed their own theories. According to one, the jet had crashed into the UFO's project, uh, protective beam like a concrete wall. Others speculated that the jet may have, come, may have been scooped out of the air and taken aboard a spacecraft. Perhaps the captured men could teach their alien captors the English language. So there was a lot of different things going on explanation-wise. Um, and I just find it so wrong that you being the widow and your man and your husband served his time to serve his country and this is what you get in return. I just find that absolutely despicable. Um, and the way they try to cover up these UFO sightings, I mean, it's sad. They're not even trying that hard. Um, in 1968, there was a local newspaper. Uh, local newspaper reports of military jet fragments discovered near the shore of Lake Superior but the fine was never verified. In 2006, Adam Jimenez, claiming to be the representative of the Great Lakes Dive Company, corresponded with UFO bloggers and members of the UFO community. He claimed that not only had the airplane wreck been discovered in the area, but a metallic object resembling a chunk of a flying saucer as well. UFO researchers soon exposed inaccuracies in Jimenez's story, and concluded that the Great Lakes Dive Company did not exist. <laughs> Eventually, Adam Jimenez, too, vanished without a trace. So, we got a lot going on in this story. Um, but I did find it very intriguing because of all the different, all the different angles 
and how they tried to cover the story up. And then you got people coming up with all different kind of theories as to what happened. Then you have people like this man, Adam Jimenez, coming out and stating that the entire plane was found at some point. Um, you have other researchers saying Adam Jimenez never existed. Uh, his company never existed and he disappeared. So there's a lot of different factors in this case, um, but I did think it was one that, that had some leverage and had some uh, a whole bunch of different evidence. And to just wipe it out of the Air Force records, um, it's just another thing of what the United States military does when it comes to UFOs. So that it's just a, a very intriguing case. Um, and I believe that a lot of research still needs to be done with this. Um, I'm sure that if you went out there, we might be able to find the wreckage, um, unless they already did, like it stated. But I'm sure that the military has has the data on what actually happened. I wouldn't doubt that at all. So the next case, um, I know many people have heard of. Um, this is just short, sweet, and simple, just to do a little, an extra little case. Um, this is an experienced pilot crashed and died after pursuing a UFO. We all know Thomas Mantell. Not everybody knows him, so we're going to go ahead and go through and uh, give you give you his uh, understanding of what happened to him. Um, Thomas Mantell, an experienced World War II fighter pilot and a member of the Kentucky Air National Guard, crashed and perished while pursuing a UFO in January 1948. That's the same year as the Aztec UFO crash. That happened in New Mexico in 1948 as well. That's on my website. You can check that out. When the incident occurred, the New York Times article on the pilot noted that there had previously been reports of flying saucers in the Kentucky area, which is what led Mantell on his fruitless and ultimately fatal chase. To this day, the circumstances leading up to his crash are still disputed by the public and members of the military. And researchers probably go back and forth on them as well. Fellow members of the Kentucky National Guard who were also searching for the UFO that day have also never been able to properly identify what exactly it was that they were chasing. So you got these experienced pilots going up after something that they don't even know what it is. They don't know how it's going to respond. And... They're in the on. It's it's all unknown to them. Do you do you know what that's like when you when you're told to go on a mission from your your high your commanding officer or your sergeant, and you have no idea what, what you're going after, where it is, what it can do, how it can react to you. That's a scary thought. So some scholars suggested that it might have been a weather balloon, but the fact of the matter is that we'll never truly know. Now I do not. I ha I'm tired of hearing this weather balloon story. I, I <laughs> it kills me, man. Um, it's like their ultimate go-to, and I know for a fact, being the next military member, that that people in the sky that are flying these jets know the difference between a weather balloon or a UFO or some kind of craft. And I highly doubt the military will be sending jets up to go after a weather balloon because they're not just sending a jet up to go chase something. They obviously have radar hits and other data knowing that this is some kind of unidentified flying object, which is why they're sending the jets up in the first place. So I just don't find that, um, you know, I just don't find that balloon theory credible at all. 
And every time I hear the balloon theory, I know most likely it's a cover-up. <laughs> That's just my opinion. But those were the cases I had for you guys today. Um, there, there's a lot of information. Um, you can go check them out online. You could probably, I mean, the one of the disappearance in 1953, that's just a crazy case. Um, and there, and there's, there's a lot of information on it, but there's a lot of disinformation, misinformation that's involved in there. So it's a very complicated case. And uh, for the pilots that were driving in that plane, I'm, I pray for them. And I'm sorry that that's how it had to be. And for the widow as well. Um, and Mantel, that's a shame that happened with him too. Um, so that's your second half of the episode for today. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode for today. Um, I like to give you guys a little bit of what's going on and the people coming out of the woodwork, which is why I did the first half of the show. And I always like giving you guys old cases that you possibly never heard about. Um, I think it's, it's a good thing to bring the history of UFOs to the forefront and to what's going on today and to share the information and to give respect to what has happened in, in the UFO history. So thank you guys for tuning in today. This is another episode of UFO Encounters with your host, Jesse Peak, MUFON Field Investigator in the state of Pennsylvania, city of Philadelphia. We're now signing off and keep your eyes in the sky.